0: Let's turn in our Bibles tonight to Revelation Revelation 2, and we are going to read a powerful passage of Scripture. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for your heart to worship God and to once again move forward as as a great church. I want to tell you that throughout the week, reading this passage and preparing my heart, it has convicted me in a powerful way. Conviction is never comfortable but it's healthy, and I've never seen the the severity of this text like I have this week. I, I think I'm safe in telling you that I don't believe the devil wants you to hear this message because it has that kind of power to influence us as God's people. So with open hearts, let's work through this passage, and let's allow the Spirit of God to speak to us. Pray with me. Lord, our Bibles are open and we're ready, and so make us better. We understand that conviction is a work of the Spirit in us, not to lead us to condemnation, but repentance and to transformation. We open our hearts to that. We want to own, Lord, where we really are. We want to respond to the work of the Spirit in us by this word. We have not come into this place to just go through the activities of a service, but to connect with the activity of God ordained for this gathering tonight. We come now to Revelation 2, these first seven verses, and I pray that the power of these words written in the first century will become so gripping as we realize how relevant it is for a 21st century church. We ask these things in your name, the name of Jesus, and for your glory. And everyone said, Amen. Let's begin. Revelation 2, verse 1. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. The one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do stopping right there for a moment, knowing that this person making the evaluation is Christ himself. And with the eyes of fire, there's nothing that can block his vision of the reality of the church that he is writing to. The reality of your life, my life, our church. And so nothing can be hidden. This is the God with all knowledge. This is the God with his omnipresence and yet manifest presence. And he understands the very details. Of your life and mine. He says, I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Let's look at that first phrase coming out of the, the, the second sentence. I have seen your hard work. This word, hard, describing the work in the Greek, it it gives a a very clear picture of working to the point of exhaustion. It's intense labor, and so these people had served God, and and if I can say it this way, they served God hard. Intense, full throttle. And the Lord saw it. He sees every act of kindness, He sees every moment of prayer, He sees every... Uh, ounce of servanthood that we put out into his kingdom. If no one else notices what you're doing, I promise you God knows what you're doing. He sees your service for his church and for his kingdom. says, I know your hard work and your patient endurance. Now, I want to come back to patient endurance. Look at this next sentence. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. Look at verse 6, if you will. But this is in your favor. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. I want to put those together, and I want you to see that this church was not only a hard-working church for God, but they had standards. And they discerned those who had no love for God and who were actually oppressing people. Uh, The Nicolaitans dominated, oppressed Good people. And it nauseated the heart of God. It turned the heart of God by the activity of these Nicolaitans. And the same attitude was in this church. And God is commending them not only for their hard work, but for their high standard and discerning the inauthentic walk that these people had. And they were willing to call it out. Now back to verse 2. As we work into that part, it says, And I know your patient endurance. Connect that with verse 3. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. I want you to hear the, the commendation coming from God. You work hard. You have standards that are holy and right. You suffer and you serve with perseverance. That's what he's saying. They not only persevered in their service, they persevered in their suffering. You can tell a lot about a person by what it takes to get them down and to keep them down. And God is just encouraging and complimenting this church because these people wouldn't quit. No matter how difficult the service or how intense the suffering these believers persevered. And so, one thing after the other, God is just pointing out to say that there were a lot of great qualities in this church. Before we move into this next portion, what church? The church at Ephesus. Well, what do we know about the church at Ephesus? You have to go back to Acts 19 because that's where the church started. Paul goes into Ephesus to declare the gospel. When he goes into Ephesus, he is coming in a culture that is influenced by the the goddess Diana. There was this this huge temple erected to her honor. And I mean, perversion was rampant. It was a place of such immorality. And then there was a lot of money being made around the, the idol worship to Diana. And when Paul came in preaching the gospel, it not only disturbed the culture, but when people started turning to Christ, it started affecting the economy. And when people's economy was affected because Christianity was, was being, was being uh, brought to bear on people's hearts and they were, they were converting, then a riot broke out. And when this riot broke out, it ends in a sweeping revival of the presence of God. And the church at Ephesus was planted. And I mean, it started strong. When Paul handed off pastoral leadership, it was to Timothy. And Timothy pastored this church. And then he hands off to John. So incredible pastors and a phenomenal church that was... Not in an easy place. It was the largest city of Asia. And they were doing an awesome, awesome job. But notice what happens. We're back to Revelation. And now we're to the focus there in verse 4. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen turn back to me and do the works you did at first if you don't repent i will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches you know how you can read something many times and each time there's a there's a part of the passage that tends to reach out and grip your heart in a way that it hasn't before These two verses have just gripped my heart. I want to read them again. I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come, and notice these words, and remove your lampstand. The lampstand is... It represents the church. I will remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Verse 4 and following are, are convicting to my soul. Because here God is mentioning the great things that are happening in this church. Let's go back over them. They were a very dedicated church hardworking. They were a discerning church for they recognized those who claimed to be real and they were fake. They were a very dedicated and determined church as they persevered in their service to God and even in their suffering. It's just one great thing, one great quality after another. But then God says, you don't love me like you used to. And you can line up all the great things, but you remove this One thing, which is love for me, love for God, and the consequences are huge. Again, the severity of this text has convicted my heart. I've always known that second love is sin. God is after first love. He's not after second love. I've always known that lukewarmness is, it it nauseates God. We are to have a fiery devotion for God. We are to have a heart after God. I've always known that. But I've never been gripped by this part where he says, If you don't have this love for me, I just really don't need you around. It says here, if you don't repent and do what you used to do, then I'm going to remove you. Few questions that I will ask as we go through the text tonight, and one is this Was there ever a time that you love God more than you do tonight? Could we ask that question of our hearts personally? I don't know how we could ask it corporately, but I think it's appropriate. That as this faith family, was there ever a day that we love God more than we do tonight? The Bible says, If so, repent. Turn around. Do what you used to do. You may feel bad about this, but God's really not interested in that. We may shed tears. God's really not interested in that. What he says here is repent. That's what he's interested in. See, it wasn't enough for me to feel conviction through the week unless it led to a, a godly sorrow that led to repentance that led to some change. The great commandment is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. If that's the greatest commandment, could we then say that the greatest sin is not loving God with full devotion? Will God remove us? Well, let's take this church as an example. There hasn't been a church in Ephesus for about 1,800 years because they were removed. Ephesus is now modern-day Turkey, completely Islamic, blatantly against Christianity. And there once was a Christian witness through this church, pastored by Paul, then Timothy, and finally John, dedicated, discerning and determined and at once in love with God but they they left that first love and they were removed the assembly at Ephesus was solid we just read that it was a big church God was working in a powerful way. It was a good church. But they took God for granted. And because they took God for granted, they became ineffective, lost their witness, and were removed. All of us as parents, we've had the experience when our kids were, were small, maybe your kids still are, and you pull up in the driveway after a, a day at work, and, and your child bolts out the door, runs up to you, embraces you, and talks about how they've been excited to see you. There's just an expression that releases as they, they wrap their arms around you and tell you that they miss you and that they love you. There's just something amazing about that. now. We're all thankful for kids who will obey and who will respect us and at times speak well of us. But there's something about the bolting out of the door that just stands alone. This leads me to a question. Am I like that child toward God? Are we like that child? Do we, do we bolt out in praise to a God who's called us out of darkness, who has resurrected us from spiritual death? who has given us all things for life and godliness, who is our shepherd and he meets all of our needs, who empowers us to do all things through Christ. Do we bolt out in praise? Do we just love him? Are there moments throughout the day where we're just gripped by by an awareness of God and we just want to be with God? We want to express to God that we love him. We don't want anything from him. We just want him to know. We love him. I was convicted with this question, Jesus, do I ignore you until I need something from you? When the child bolts out the door, they're not running out the door to ask for something. They're just happy to see you. They just want the embrace. They want the communication, the interaction. How many times have I acknowledged God when I needed something from God? I think about the Word of God and And my attitude toward the word. How many of you remember getting like a love letter. When you were engaged or you're dating. Oh Lord. Let's do a show of hands on that. Okay good. Yeah. Hands. Hands. Make sure we're connecting. Well I don't know about you. But when I get one of those letters. This is one right here. I'm going to read it to you. Actually not. Um, I would read it. I would read what it. Said, and then I would read in between the lines of all I think was being said. Read it, reread it, hold on to it, read it again. Because there was a relationship behind the letter, there was a relationship that was alive and growing and developing, and, and it made the letter of great importance. It was cherished, it was read, reread, read for all that it was worth. I mean, we, we I squeezed everything I could get out of the words in those sentences. Now think about the word of God. Think of your attitude, my attitude, our attitude toward the word of God. It is a metric of my love for God. Because if I love God, it will draw me to his love letter to me and I will read it. I will reread it. I will read it for everything that I can see. Then I'll read in between the lines to try and extract everything that God is communicating to me. I would say to all of us that there's much vision to be cast. I I love the privilege of casting vision and there's much vision for us to accomplish. I will call us... To embrace vision. I will call us to serve God with passion. I will call us to give out of a generous heart. But here's here's my prayer. That our vision. Serving, giving, and going. Would be out of a love for God. Not out of just we like the church. Or this seems right. But that it's coming out of a fresh walk with Christ. That my testimony is not only what God did 10 years ago, but it's what he did today. It's what he was doing in my life yesterday. It's an up-to-date walk with God. I'm I'm connected. I'm relating. I'm having communion with this God that I sing about, talk about. It's not just a church-going relationship. It's a relationship with a personal Savior who walks with me and does the day with me. Who loves me with a love that has no end. Is this name? Maybe you were raised in church I was raised in church And I can remember going through the phase Where It was more just don't do what God hates That's You know I didn't want to backslide and Just don't do what he hates And so The journey was more about I don't know if it's fear based Or Always on defense, don't do that, don't do this, oh don't, he hates that, oh you know he hates that, don't do that. More than just realizing he loves me and I love him, and serve out a passion for God. Not so much fear of what I might do, but how close to God can I be? Hmm. A year ago, we were in Jamaica on a missions trip, and it was like the the first time we'd ever gone. You go into places so desperate. Remember the first time we went there, and it was a Sunday, and Kelly and I were taken to this church where I would be preaching that morning. She would be ministering in music, and it it was so hot. This weather today just so reminds me of that. Just the very beginning of the day, just so incredibly hot. And we walked into this little church, no air condition. And when the service started, I was watching as people all over that hillside were walking. We were the only ones that had been driven to the church, everyone else had to walk. And about the time service really started, that place was filled with people. They had this little keyboard that barely worked. Speakers it'd just been better had they not even tried to use them microphones and chords that just create all kind of feedback and and i'm I'm looking around and watching this experience unfold, and I watched people sing like there was a band and an orchestra and a music ministry like we have here, like everything was in harmony, everything was being mixed. in other words. The way they were worshiping would indicate that everything around them is going well. Because in America, it seems that I only see that kind of worship when all the ducks are in a row and everything's just right. My style, my volume, it's cranking, it's pushing my button, and I respond. I'm watching people. There was nothing about The the quality, they just didn't have the equipment to produce that in quality. There was nothing about the quality that would cause you to sing. It was so hot in that building, just amazingly hot. And yet those people went after God and God convicted me. I, I can sense that conviction in my heart tonight as though it was then as God just said, these people love me. They love me. They're not worshiping me because the atmosphere is right, and because the music is happening and all mixed just right, they are worshiping me because they love me. And God showed me I didn't love him like they loved him. And this this story of being in Jamaica just came back to my heart as I'm reading this text. This first century letter that's so relevant to a 21st century church and pastor congregation, That I don't care what song we're singing I don't care weather conditions I want to go after God because of God I, I want to be in such a relationship with him That I don't need something stimulating my worship From the outside That my worship happens from the inside out And then you take the kind of of ministry we have going here. It, it should just be off the chart, off the map. This, this place should be fire hot for God. And, and I just pray that for us. I pray that we will just evaluate our own hearts tonight and ask God, God, was there ever a day that I loved you more than I love you now? And if the answer to that question is yes, then I, I plead with you to repent And do what you used to do. I plead with us. And I think the way to respond to God is, in closing tonight, open up these altars. Many of you have been raised in church. And when I say the word altar, you understand I'm talking about an altar call. I'm talking about where we would move from our seats if we're physically able. And we'd come and find a place and kneel down. And we just focus in on God and we seek God in response to the message that we've heard. And we spend time, we we wait before God and allow the seed of this word to get heart deep as we pray pray it through. If you've not been raised in church, The very word altar may cause you to look around and say, what are you talking about? I see stairs. I want to tell you, we we dedicate this area as as an altar to just come and kneel before God. There's something about our posture. Please don't attach legalism to this. I just want to tell you that through the Psalms, there's a place to bow before God. It tells us that. To humble ourselves. And sometimes the humility of my heart can be demonstrated by bowing before him. And we'll just seek the face of God. How powerful will it be for all of us to just have a season of prayer? I don't want to lose that within the local church. After a season of prayer where all of us, I want to get before God. I want our pastoral staff to do that right along with you. But after a season of prayer, I'm going to ask the pastors to move across this altar area. Just praying for you and believing God to meet you where you are to stir up the gift that is in you, and to to fan the flame. In this American culture, I'm burdened that we don't try to impact the community through excellence in ministry, but that we impact the community through the power of God. I believe in excellence. It's wrong to offer to God anything but our best. But to think that our best can change one heart Is to be deceived But the power of God can change the hardest heart The power of God can make the vilest sinner clean Amen And so I find myself Thinking about Elijah When he was on Mount Carmel Squaring off with the evil prophets of Baal And I wonder Who am I more like? Am I over here with these false prophets and I just make a lot of noise, but at the end of the day, nothing happens? Or am I over here with Elijah, who when he lifted his voice, his God answered by fire? And when we look at people like that, we then think, well, they were superhuman or super spiritual, and we just can't ever get to that level. But you can come to the book of James, and it talks about Elijah And it says he was a man just like you and just like me. Yet he moved this common man, moved to an uncommon anointing because he went after God with all of his heart. Oh, for a church that will go after God so that our ministry will be like that of Elijah. And we can say to the multitude in the valley of decision, our God is God, for our God answers by fire. Now, our God is not going to answer by fire to the request of a church that takes him for granted. But the church that is after God, loves God, pursues God, to that church, God will show himself strong. Can you give him praise tonight that he looks over to find a church whose heart is fully his? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The anointing is in this room right now. It's here right now. We've just preached right through the veneer. The anointing is here. Let's respond to God. God, I come before you and I want to be the first to repent. I want to be the first. Forgive me for looking to any other approach of doing life outside of Total dependence upon you. Forgive me as a spiritual leader where I get away from this total surrender and dependence upon the power of God. As I came preaching the very first sermon ever before this congregation, I declared that only God can do the work of God. I believe it tonight. So, we need you. We need you. We need your fire. We need zeal and boldness. We want to read the pages of Scripture. We want to read through the book of Acts. And as we're reading the first century, we want to say, wow, that's just like our church. We don't want this disconnect between our reality and our theology so that we end up changing our theology to excuse the lack of power in our present reality we want you so that our reality lives up to our theology of power it starts with contrition confession it starts with sincere evaluation there's a multitude of people here tonight Lord and if all of us will just go after you come around these altars and seek your face we will find you and a deep work of God can happen in us tonight that will deliver us out of this place or the church that you desire us to be So as our team goes through this song just one time, the more I seek you. As the Spirit of God moves upon your heart, we declare these altars open. And I want you to come and kneel. Young people, you're so faithful to help me, maybe to have more space around this stairway. You could come up and use some of the choir steps and just seek the face of God. And we're going to allow the Spirit of God to move. Waves of glory are going to come across your heart tonight as you seek Him. Come. Respond to the Lord's call tonight.